Hi, welcome to Sonic Serial. I'm Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> Alright. And um Alright. Um <laughs> Welcome to Sun Sonic Serial Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jesse. And in this podcast, we take a deep dive into albums from some of our favorite artists, track by track. And today we're continuing with Marie Antoinette, the original motion picture soundtrack, which was produced by Brian Reitzel, and it was released in 2006. And what tracks are we covering today? We're talking about <coughs> Ceremony by New Order, Natural's Not In It by Gang of Four, I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow, and Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants. Adam and the Ants. Yes. All right. So let's... Uh, well... What? <laughs> I don't know. What were you going to say? I was going to say let's start with, with the first song. Did no. you have something else? I wanted to talk about some personal experiences. Oh! We didn't really talk about that. I didn't see that. This album. Um... I don't know. Should you start? Do you have any? No, go for it. <laughs> this is your... Well, um, so at the time it came out, I was uh, in college, and so this was pretty much... the. I was just starting college, and so this was the album that I would listen to all the time while, like, writing essays and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was just exciting. Um... But I actually didn't see it until I came home from my study abroad trip. And, <laughs> and I think I was kind of channeling, trying to channel her when I was in Italy because it's just like, yeah, it was just a lot of partying and I overspent and... Okay. <laughs> I drank a lot and I went to like it's very European. I went to like museums and stuff, so it kind of made me feel like I was I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this. Okay, but how does this relate to your personal experience with Marie Antoinette? That was my personal experience. <laughs> oh. This is so abstract. I know. <laughs> um my personal experience, I don't quite remember the time in my life when it came out, like what was going on specifically. But I do remember that when I saw it, it was, it spoke to me from a musical perspective because it was the songs that I loved when I was like in high school. Did you see at the movies? Because I think I'm the same age as Sofia Coppola. Uh. So I think we had similar sort of, you know, kind of musical tastes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my experience that it was just, very nostalgic in a good way. Did you see this movie at the movies? At the <clears throat> no, theater? I, mm, no, I didn't. Mm. You saw it on... I saw it on DVD cable. <laughs> or DVD, maybe. I don't know. Cool. That's how I saw it. <sighs> I didn't... Nobody wanted to see it with me. <laughs> <laughs> see? Because we didn't know each other back then. I know. <clears throat> All right, let's start with track five, Ceremony by New Order. Jesse, give us an overview. Well, this is New Order's debut single after they transitioned from (laughs) Joy Division in 1981. Transition just has such a specific connotation these days. Well, after they became New Order from Joy Division. The lyrics were written by Ian Curtis, who um, was a former member of Joy Division. Or he was the lead singer of Joy Division. But yeah, it was recorded... And it was written while he was at Joy Division? Yeah. Okay. It was two weeks. He recorded it two weeks before his death in 1980. And this was the last song he wrote. Um, and, uh, it was the last song that they performed during a studio session, um, right before Curtis's death. Um, and some people think that maybe it was his suicide letter, Mm. but since it was 
you know, impossible or difficult. Although I saw on Reddit that there's some conspiracy theories or people who believe that he's still alive. No, that there's actually copies of what he actually wrote. Oh, and they might have changed it. Well, but the band didn't have it. Like somebody had copies, but the band didn't have it. Weird. Or the band had it and they just decided not to use those lyrics because they wanted to make it their own. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, the band hoped that this song would inspire optimism with an Ian about you know, just being in a band and being alive, because I think, I don't know that much about him, but I think he exhibited depression throughout his life, maybe. But other than that, uh, Peter Peter Saville designed the singles artwork, who went on to, I guess he went on to design graphics for fashion labels, like... Jordash? Uh, no, I was thinking more like high fashion, oh. Burberry, and Got it. other things. Um, so I read that apparently um, some fans or somewhere somebody found uh, an old set list from the time. Um, and apparently this song was actually called Little Boy originally. Little Boy. I don't know if that makes That's any sense good, based on the lyrics but I think they should have called it both <coughs> little yeah. boy parentheses ceremony or a ceremony for a little boy <laughs> maybe sounds, I don't know that sounds kind of <laughs> pedo yeah sorry very papal anyway <clears throat> in terms of production um, while this was uh, while most of Joy Division and New Order songs contain keyboard, this song actually does not. And after Curtis's death, uh, one of the guitarists, Bernard Sumner, he took over the lead vocals. And yeah, like you were talking about earlier, to remake the song, he had to put the recording of the song through a graphic equalizer to figure out what Ian Curtis was actually singing since he didn't leave lyrics, but maybe he did. Maybe he did. <clears throat> we'll never know. But yeah, we were talking about sort of recording from, what do you call it, external speakers? Yeah. Into a, a mic on a, like a recorder. Yeah. I don't know if he was using like the mixing board. To, mm. I don't know, graphic equalizer in those days. I feel like that's something Bjork would do just because it would like fuck with the music enough yeah. that it would feel like it was. Yeah. You know. Has she? Possibly. Okay. Not that I know of. Uh, and how is it used in the film? Since we're talking about the film Marie Antoinette and the uh, music that it's used within it. This is played while. She celebrates her birthday with an elaborate party and then watches the sunrise with her friends. It's, it's a very uplifting, feel-good scene, very teenager-y. <laughs> um, but I wonder if this song choice was intentional to try and draw parallels between Ian Curtis's struggles with adapting to fame, like all eyes on him, and how Marie Antoinette had to deal with the same thing when she was suddenly becoming a queen. Yeah, we talked about last episode that she was like the Kylie Jenner of her time. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she drew huge crowds and yeah, people went crazy. Or maybe Kim Kardashian, I don't know. Um, I don't know which one would which one would draw a bigger crowd. Probably, I don't know. I don't care actually. Yeah. Uh, so as far as live performances, the earliest recordings by Joy Division are from a sound check um, and performance at Birmingham University in May of 1980. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Another recording from was from a studio session four days before Ian Curtis's death. This is why it's so 
and the most recent performance was in Houston in July. <laughs> Here's what it sounds like. Yikes. All, r- <laughs> All right, what about song meaning? <laughs> Lyrics and the song meaning, which well, I guess are related. Some people believe that the song is about the unease surrounding the rise of the band and Ian Curtis's struggle with it. When like and at all the while he was having relationship troubles and mental health issues and feeling incapable of being there for his loved ones, so it was pretty turbulent time. But I feel like we've we've touched upon this in a previous episode. Yeah. But like just you know that when things start to get crazy as you get to be famous. Yes. It's in the Especially if you process. have sort of already, you know, if there's already things about you that, that are that way, I feel like it amplifies it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're kind of prone to occasionally get depressed, when you become super famous, you're probably, yeah. it amplifies mm-hmm. those feelings. Or if you're like a private person. But I feel like, yeah, when you're like struggling with those issues, you would want privacy more and then not to be under a microscope and analyzed so let's hear some of the lyrics this is why events unnerve me they find it all a different story notice whom for wheels are turning turn again and turn towards this time so it just makes me think of things just Going and going and going, and there's no relief from any of it. And you feel like a hamster on a wheel. (laughs) You can't get off. All right, well, I was going to say what I really like about this song is that it kind of could be anything. Like, I remember listening to it, and it felt like a happy song. Yeah. And then one time I listened to it when I was down and it kind of felt like a sad song like yeah. i could see like the sadness in it so and since the lyrics don't really convey the meaning it really is up for interpretation yeah it's kind of in between because uh, when i if i were to just know the knowledge with the band and everything i would be like wow this song is really sad but then seeing it in the context of Marie Antoinette, it's like... And how they even describe it themselves. Yeah, it's, it's like, uplifting. it's really nice, it's fun, it's yeah. happy feelings. Well, you know, you know the only person that knows what ceremony is really about? Ian Curtis. <laughs> so, he's dead, and we'll never know. Yeah, that's a shame. Shame. But, I mean, it's cool, because sometimes art is better when there's mystery that <laughs> remains. Art's better when the art is dead? No, it's just not that aspect, but that there's this mystery aspect. Yes, I know what you mean. Thank you. Um, how about remixes and covers? This what song- do you think Ian would have thought of remixes and covers? <laughs> I don't know, because I don't know that much about him, but... Mm. Um, I feel like he would have been, like, whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, happy to let it take its course. Yeah, I think after researching this and hearing a New Order song <laughs> recently, um, I I wondered what he would have thought, because New Order's, some of their music after this was, like pop really poppy mm-hmm. and synthy and electronic and stuff and it's like yeah not as guitar yeah it's just like sounds kind of really different from something like ceremony yeah so i just yeah don't know what he would have thought of that if he would have been angry turning in his grave or you know or if he just would have been whatever yeah so i would just say like, this is the song to listen to when you're down, but kind of also the one when you're, like, feeling good. It's just, like, chill vibes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when you're um, watching the sunset or sunrise. So what about remixes and covers? 
Well, this song has been covered by Galaxy 500 in 1989. Do you know who they are? Mm-hmm. You've heard of them? Yeah. Cool. Susu in 2002? Juju. Juju. Yeah. Okay. I've heard of them since, yeah, in the 2000s. But or Shushu. Juju or Shushu depends on Juju what part of China Shushu. you're from. And then my one of my favorite bands, Radiohead, covered it in 2007. And it was also covered by Yes But No in 2010, The Sheiks in 2010, and The Chromatics in 2014, and Daywave in 2016. So it just keeps getting covered throughout the years. It's like a... It's, <clears throat> It's a great song, so we're going to cover it. Maybe I should cover it. Maybe you should. (laughs) Speaking of, there's... uh, Jesse here has just put out a covers album. Yeah. And it's called... Out of the System. Out of the System. It's only on YouTube. Only on YouTube, and it's under the name... Jesse, Jesse covers. covers. It's easy to remember. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds like an adult performer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, What's your favorite cover? My favorite cover is by um, someone called Stereo Boy. And um, I've, from all the covers I've heard, and I think I listened to all of them, this is kind of the most like fun to dance to sort of version, huh. um, which I'd like when something that feels, you know, sort of, you know, potentially yeah. kind of down gets a really dancey. Sounds cover. fun. Yeah. This is why I mean, I I'll take a dance dancey cover. Was this, this song used in Valley Girl? Oh, I don't remember. It feels like it would have been. We just watched Watch it. Valley Girl. Yeah, yeah. So. With Nicolas Cage and... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's the next song? The next song is track six from the album. Um, song's called Natural's Not In It by Gang of Four. Tell us about it. <laughs> Well, this song was released in 1979 on their debut album, Entertainment! Exclamation point. And it's considered a landmark in the genre of post-punk. And band member John King once said, it was a hard tune to get down as it's all fill and drive and energy, and this is often hard to get in a studio without a crowd pushing you to it. At the right time, in the right place, it does the right thing. I get that. I get that. I can agree with that. But, yeah. Um, And how is it used in the film? Uh, It's the first song that comes on in the film. So it's it's during the opening titles. And you just see that shot of her getting her feet rubbed, surrounded by cakes. Sounds like the life. (laughs) Um... And it's a very dancey punk, punky. It's like a com. It's a rare combination of dancey and yeah, punky. I like it. Yeah, me too. Hey. <laughs> um, Have they ever performed this song live? They did. They performed this song live um, in 1983 on a TV show called Rock Palast, which I, I assume is Rock Palace. Let's take a listen. And they also performed it in 2019 for Jam the Van. Jam in the Van. Jam in the Van. It's just Jam the Van. Great, Jam the Van. Alright. And song meanings. Yeah. 
All right. Well, when this song was released in 1979, it received very mixed reactions from audiences and critics, with some, um, you know, really liking the kind of political message and others criticizing its sound. Um, but over time, the song um, has become a like celebrated punk rock classic. Um, and its message of rejecting the status quo and embracing individualism, wouldn't you say it's as relevant today as For, it yeah, was 40 years ago? Speaking of timeless. Speaking of timeless. <laughs> yes. Snaps. Um, Unfortunately. All right, so what about some lyrics? Do you want to try do them in your best Johnny Rotten? You do a really, you know who does a good Johnny Rotten? Who? You. No. <laughs> you showed me. Come on, Joe. No, but this is to get you out of your comfort zone, so. <laughs> you do the first one and I'll do the second first. Right now. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Come on. Okay, I gotta edit this. Renanto Sin and Vice. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> that was good. Say it again. Oh, I'm not doing accents. That's Come on. <laughs> Dream of the perfect life. Yes. <laughs> See, you can't do it. This heaven gives me migraine. 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 Repackaged sex keeps your interest. Repackaged sex keeps your interest. So I read the songs about how people are always looking for the perfect life, but they often end up selling out to get it. And I would think, you sell out? Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, keep going. What about the lyrics? Um, the lyrics talk about how society can pressure people into doing things they don't really want to do. So, like having sex or buying things they can't afford, and it warns against giving into these pressures and just encourages people to stay true to themselves and just don't be a sheep, right? I feel, I feel like you, you're a rare person that actually doesn't kind of fall into that pressure. You think so? Yeah. I feel like the things that you, like, you know, buy and do are things that, like, really make you happy. Yeah. Because they're certainly not fashionable. (laughs) (laughs) Or following any trend. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, (laughs) But no, I, I, I... I respect that. Um, Okay, so there's a few remixes and covers. (laughs) What is going on outside? I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Um, My brother's here. Hold on. He just pulled up. No. Okay, so what is... It's our next guest. There's one is by... um, there's two remixes, one by Ladytron and one by The Rakes, both released in 2005. Let's take a listen. <laughs> and it's been covered by Saran Song and Stag, um, Tom Morello and Serge Tankian, and Everything Everything. Where is their music coming from? Is that really outside? (laughs) That's That's so weird. Parade or something. (laughs) Anyway. Alright. So I think it's funny that this song was used in a commercial for Microsoft. Because I interpret that song to be about against stuff like that. Like anything commercial, really. And Microsoft is like a big tech company mm-hmm. so yeah 
But it's like, you know, when um, politicians use songs oh, that, yeah. from artists who they totally have no don't, idea what it means. Yeah, they have no idea about the artist and what it means. They just like, you know, it's kind of like religion where they've cherry picked parts of the lyrics and they're like, yeah, this Right. To what we want to say it sounds it sounds high high energy yeah it's hype. a hype it's a good hype song that has some like yeah all right um it's too bad for punk music these days too bad <laughs> but they what is that i mean why speaking who, of who is the, who's the number one punk artist these days machine gun kelly <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm not gonna name it anymore. Talk about canceled. Someone's gonna come for me. No, really. Who's the number one punk artist in 2023? I have no idea. I don't keep up to date on these things. Um, like Death Grips, they're pretty punk, but I don't know if they're making music at the moment. Zulu. Zulu, Death Bill, someone playing a Drain few blocks from us right now. Scowl, Downtown, Proto Martyr, Hello, Dream Wife, Sunken Chin, <laughs> Roger's Foot. What? I can say things too. <laughs> anyway. Sunken Chin. <laughs> That's a band. It is not a band, but I'm it's copywriting really, it right now. It certainly should be. Um, okay, so the band name Gang of Four um, was the name given to a political faction composed of four Chinese Communist Party officials. Wow. Um, and they came to prominence during the Cultural Revolution in 1966. Mm. Um, and were charged with a bunch of treasonous crimes. So, um, I guess the name came from Rebellion. Yeah. And um, I should have mentioned this in production, but it, I don't know if the whole song does it, but most of the song does it. It's just two chords. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to track seven. I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow. And the film has uh, the Kevin Shields remix. So it's not the original. Yeah, from the album. Was this remix made for the movie, or was it one that was already out there and they picked this one? It was made for the movie. Snaps. All right. <laughs> it's like it's thundering and lightning. <laughs> anyway. This okay, is let's actually, get an overview. Oh, well, this is actually a cover of The Strange Love's 1965 hit. I did not know that. Me either. We just, I just listened to it a bit ago, and... It's so close. It's, it's like, it's a true cover. In an interview with Billboard, Bill Gother, how would you say that? Gotter? Gautier? I don't know. Um, who was in the Strange, Lo- Strange Loves said, I had a wrapper from a key piece of candy in my pocket, and I said, I think I have an idea for a song. We started banging on the walls, and by the end of the day, we'd written I Want Candy. And it was one of those moments of inspiration. So it was literally inspired by a candy wrapper. That's crazy. Well, it's crazy because if you think, even the interpretations that we're going to talk about, like I want candy and candy's a man, I want candy and it's like an object of desire. Like that's just stuff that was, that people read into the song. Yeah. But it wasn't the intention, which is an important lesson about um, intention. You can just reach into your pocket <clears throat> and you'll find something that can grow really big. <laughs> Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. <laughs> um, when I was 
in film school where when I was taking film classes at USC, they talked a lot about how the director's intention is ends up not mattering. What ends up mattering is how people interpret it. Mm. So yeah. if even if a director didn't intend something, for example, to be racist, um, if it's interpreted that way, then that's the that's the reality of it, and the director has to deal with that. Yeah, that's communication. Because because the director's not directing for himself; he's yeah. directing for the audience. It's all rhetoric, and people should know that this is the opposite of rhetoric. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. All right, tell I us some more. Nothing out of school. Tell us some more about this. Well, Let's get in back the on track. same year that the band The Strange Loves released this song, another band from the UK, Brian Poole and the Tremolos, released their own version of the song, which is pretty much the same. And then uh, about 20 years later. Uh, Bow Bow Wow released this song in 1982 and it was the opening track from their EP Last of the Mohicans and it became their biggest hit and what the band's known for and they recorded this song in Miami, Florida oh, in Criteria Studios in in Criteria Studios yeah Um, and so having grown up partially youth my youth in Miami yeah um I had heard of Criteria Studios. Oh, yeah. Long story, because my mom dated this guy after she broke up with my dad, but before they got back together, who was Expose's manager. Mm. Um, so through through that whole like drama, I learned of Criterion. Um, and they were a very famous studio in Miami, so if you like music, you kind of knew about them. Um, and this was kind of after my time, but they... Have you seen it in person? Yeah. Like, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you... Okay. I actually drove by there on purpose when I got my, my driver's license. Oh. I went to go check it out, thinking cool. that maybe I would see somebody, but I didn't. <clears throat> um... But a lot of uh, people have, have performed there, like J-Lo, Lil Wayne, my girl Monica, shout out, um, and your girl Shakira. <laughs> Um, they all recorded there. <clears throat> it, it, now that I think about it, it does sound like a very Miami song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And this was a song that most Americans, like, were how they were introduced to the band. Um, and the cover photo for the single was photographed by Jim... Variale and features the lead singer Annabella Lewin painted gold like a leopard with a little side boob. <laughs> and you were saying earlier how like all of these early images are really hypersexualized for yeah, somebody who was like four- under eighteen. Yeah, she yeah. She was like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, she was that whole time she was in that band. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was like the, because you always hear the stories about how it's like the labels or whatever, the yeah. telling her to be more sexual, or if it was just like her being punk and just being like, I'm going to yeah. take my clothes off. Hmm. Cause we, my, should, we should <laughs> research that. If we I research mean, it and we find out which one of the two it was. Either way, I, I think... We'll it, let you know in the next podcast. Yeah, it works for her. Like, it, yeah. if to me, I don't... I don't know. All right. Sometimes it could be sexualized. Sometimes it could just be seen as her, like, being empowered or whatever. So tell us about this um, Kevin Shields remix. Well, I feel like it's kind of an effortless remix, to be honest. I mean, not that's that's a bad thing. What you call effortless, I call effective. Yeah, because I feel like it, it. It they can be synonymous because. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that word means? Yes. Why are you? 
Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, he just put, like, delay and some psychedelic effects on the vocals or guitar and just certain parts. And, um... But sometimes when you have, like, a masterpiece, like, just a, a small change is enough to make it feel yeah. fresh. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know, though, like, watching it with the scene, I don't know if... Yeah, I mean... I'll get to that in a minute. Keep going. <laughs> but, yeah, it, because... This song, when you hear it with those effects, it sounds like a. It would be for a psychedelic scene where she's like in a tizzy or whatever, <laughs> like spinning around the room, tizzy. and the room's spinning or whatever. But tizzy. <laughs> the way it's shot, there's nothing psychedelic. About I've it. never heard someone say that. I don't one know. In my entire life. Unless she's just like. Tizzy. But um, and uh, who was Kevin Shields? Kevin Shields is actually the the lead singer of My Bloody Valentine. Or he, he was in the band, My Bloody Valentine. And they broke up, so he just started doing side projects and remixes. What's he doing today? I think they got back together, so he might be doing stuff with My Bloody Valentine. Hmm. Or he could be doing everything. <laughs> He could be doing both things, uh, yes. being a band member of My Bloody Valentine and producing <clears throat> other people's projects. Um, and how did he and Brian Ratzel connect? Um, while Brian was touring with Air, who we talked about in the past podcast episodes. Look it up, bitch. <laughs> uh, they were in Japan at a music festival and... My Bloody Valentine was there. Or Kevin... No, I'm sorry. Kevin Shields was there playing with another band. And Brian Reitzel heard about that. And he wanted to meet him because he was a big My Bloody Valentine fan. And he just talked to him and he was just like, I'm working on a... Make it sound like him. (laughs) This is what he sounds like. You don't know. He's American. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on a project for Sofia Coppola um, right now, actually, and um, it'd be cool to get you in on it, so what do you say? I did the soundtrack for The Virgin Suicides, and it turned out good, so <laughs> you should. <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, I like The Virgin Suicides, and so yeah, I'll do it. And they just, yeah, did he did songs for Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola's second rest, film. as they say, is history. Yeah, and so now he's on, he's working with Brian Rachel a lot of times, I think. All right, and how is this used in the film? Well, it's used in the montage uh, scene where Marie Antoinette goes on a shopping spree for shoes and cakes. <clears throat> And it comes on after she has a breakdown, after getting ridiculed by the court court for not having a baby. So it's kind Even of... Even though it's his, like, his issue. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... It like was, a, I'm just saying it was extra frustrating to be ridiculed in court for not yeah, having a baby because it was all about him... It's always the woman's to, fault. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I can definitely see how that's a very difficult... <clears throat> unfortunate yes. moment yeah. and, and why you would want to go on a shopping spree and eat cakes yeah. so it's like you were being subjected to that total polar opposite and we have this like colorful uplifting fun mm. scene and this music really just puts the cherry on that cake <laughs> <laughs> the proverbial cherry. but yeah um, and it's interesting because I think this is the only song <clears throat> in the soundtrack that I recognize like that I knew beforehand mm. So, okay. Um, oh, yeah. my lord. You're the best. It's not too much, is it? But it, yeah, it's a fun scene. Lots of cakes and champagne. and I have two words for this scene. Pastry porn. Yes. <laughs> um, but for real, oh though... The, the like, cross-cutting and the back and forth. And these are all things I know now because I'm editing a lot. Yeah. 
but like the cross cutting and the back and forth and the long shots and the close ups, like it really feels like like a like a hype commercial, you know, like a yeah, that's kind of hyping something up. And those are like almost <clears throat> like photographs, so I wonder if. Never mind, that's stupid. I figured it out. Okay. Because I was like, how did they get? I thought they were actually like baking a cake between takes. I'm like, no, they probably had them already made and switched them out. Sorry. <laughs> Times were tough back then in 2006. Maybe just people didn't have as much logic and reason as they have now. <laughs> That's how I would make a movie. She's like, all right, take two hours break. I got to... Bake some Everybody cakes. on the payroll, take a two-hour <laughs> break. We're going to bake a cake from scratch. Or, yeah, get in on this. All right, what about production for this song? Well, this song actually uses something called the Bo Diddley beat. That's... Thank you. Is that right? <laughs> yes. But let's hear it for real. So, besides that, it's a little surfy, a little tribal. How would you describe it? Um, yeah. Okay. That was good. And so, as I was saying, the remix is just similar to the original. original. With a few... It's like you're listening to it high. Just imagine... <laughs> oh, that we should listen to it now then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that Buddhadly beat. Didn't you say that you heard it on some other songs? Or yeah, was... like George. It's on a lot of popular songs. <laughs> the Buddhadly beat. It's used in George Michael's Faith, <clears throat> mm. and you gotta have faith. It's used in a whole bunch of other songs. I can't remember them right now. Okay. Do you remember one? Uh, and what about uh, song meaning? What does it mean? I want candy. We kind of discussed this earlier where the original intention was literally just somebody pulling a candy wrapper out of their, out of their um, pocket. Yeah. And then they just, you know... Uh, turned it into like sexualizing candy right where it was like yeah all right um what about the video the video shows the band playing on the beach surrounded by giant candy canes and it was directed by steve Kahn. and the only other music video that he directed was run dmc's rock box and supposedly he was also <coughs> Also a car salesman? I think he he is a car salesman. He now. is a car salesman. Yeah. But he also does stuff with music. Mm. So where's he living? <laughs> where's In he Indiana? Wisconsin? Somewhere. Like that. <laughs> not New York, not San Francisco, <laughs> not LA. Not Seattle. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. Um, and uh you just noticed the other day when we were watching it. That yeah, I don't know if it was just weird. me, but the drums are like bent, if that makes sense. I, I couldn't like... tell if that was like a distortion filter ah, or whether it was actually like drums that look like, um, what are those, the gourds? Yeah. Yeah. They were just like weird pipe. I don't know if it was just for art or if they actually do something <clears throat> to affect this drum sound noise. Um, so it's, yeah, the video is very Katy Perry, California, <laughs> low budget though. And supposedly you say here in your notes that it was supposedly about a girl named Candy, but I read that from the actual writer's mouth that it was just like a candy wrapper and it was just like nothing more than that. Where did you get that it was a girl named Candy? That's what they told me. Who? The band. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway. Um, so what Bow Wow Wow does... Is oh, because it was originally sung by a man. Yeah. Yeah. And so she switches the gender, which... In the lyrics, not just by her singing Yeah, it. which I did 
on a cover of Spice Girls. Oh, oh, let's get to this. There's a very good To Become One. <laughs> they say... Um, cover from Jesse Covers. Boys and girls always go good together, and I think that's very heteronormative. <clears throat> that's for another episode. <laughs> I can't snap very well. Um, and uh, what about live performances? Well, they've been performing this song since 1982 to the present because, as I said, this it's is kind timeless. of regarded, yeah, but it, yeah, and it's also <clears throat> regarded as like their one hit wonder, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I think I wouldn't think so because I really liked them when I was, a, yeah, a tween and I was listening to this and, um, and I felt like they had a lot of really good music, yeah. I mean. But, but thanks to the film Marie Antoinette, I think now it's it, yeah. probably <clears throat> showed that they can they made more music than that and it's yes, good. And it exposed more maybe, people to this. Yeah, stuff. people want to check out some more. Um and what about covers and remixes? Oh wait, live performances. Did you get to that? Oh no. So yeah, there I think there was a recent recorded performance from this year and it was in Birmingham. So they're still going. That's it's good. always interesting to see a band like 40 years later performing the same song. Because obviously they're not going to look the same. They're not going to sound the same. Yeah. But they have their loyal fans though. And that's all that matters. Is yeah. Like, but I always wonder like, time and, is the is the version 40 years later improved because they've had so much time to sort of mull it over and think about it and perform it? Or is it derivative because it's just kind of diluted over time yeah i don't know i don't yeah there's an interesting mindset of someone that has to do that myself i would probably want to change the song up like as time goes through because it's yeah. boring just but but you still have to deal with the fact that fans want to hear it just like it was on the album we have to compromise. We all have to compromise. And I think that's what happens. I think that performers like want to change it up, but they still try to keep it familiar enough. Yeah. You know? Whereas if they probably had the opportunity to do it however they wanted, they'd probably change it up a lot more. Just because they're so sick of it after so long. Um, but seeking image, Maybe they should just lip sync or have a track going while there's... <clears throat> Screaming out all their obscenities at the crowd, and the mic can't pick it up. Oh, but the people in the front row can, so you know that would be a reason to have front row tickets. <laughs> that whatever. Okay, so this song has been covered by many artists, including Good Charlotte, Melanie C, and your favorite Aaron Carter, <laughs> um, who unfortunately passed away last mm. year. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh. I don't have the suicide hotline number now, but I'm just saying it's out there. So um, <laughs> I'm sure you can find it online. I don't. Or, Do you not condone this message? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't agree. Wait, the thoughts and perspectives shared. expressed on this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that that he committed suicide and that um, it's never the it's never the right option. No. And there's a suicide hotline number out there that you can quickly find online and and access. Nobody's laughing. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> oh my god. Um, uh, remixes. This song has been covered by. Oh, I already said this. Yeah, Aaron Carter, <laughs> your favorite. Um, Black Eyed Peas also sampled this for their song Electric City, which we'll take a, a little peek at right now. Do you like Black Eyed Peas? 
Not really. Okay. I thought you were going to say, eh, indifferent, but... <laughs> <laughs> no. Your not. shoulders were saying indifferent, but... I'm, I think it's just any music that's played on the radio. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. It's not the artist's fault, though. I'm going to say that. Wait, so you're telling me if you were, like, <laughs> cruising down the highway, listening to, like, you know, Pop Top 40, and yes. all of a sudden Radio Hitter broke were there, that you would all of a sudden not like them because of that? They were on the highway. <laughs> Why? Were they walking? No, you were driving on the highway, yeah. listening to Top 40 radio. And they were there. And they were on the radio as one of the top oh, 40 songs. I thought you meant on the highway. Oh my god. If, if they were all of a sudden like, you know, like some Ryan Seacrest top 10, well, would yeah. all of a sudden you decide that, that they weren't worth you, worth your <laughs> time anymore? After all the love and respect and commitment that you'd given them? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about misheard lyrics. She feels satisfied. I really do. So and I hope you all do as well. The original lyric, but I like candy when it's wrapped in a sweater, has been misheard. But I like candy when it's stuck to a sweater. You like that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's funny? Yes. <laughs> because, okay, candy wrapped in a sweater makes no sense. Candy stuck to a sweater. I myself have been guilty of that many times in my life. Especially <laughs> in movies. That's cool. Um, Represent candy stuck to a sweater. Let's so make it happen. I think it's I think it's very um, you you can totally understand why that would be a misheard lyric. Yeah. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been at the movies with like a <laughs> a sour gummy bear stuck to my t-shirt there's a hotline for that <clears throat> let's get to track 8 Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants let's take a listen alright let's get an overview of this song Jesse the band released this single in 1980 from their album, Kings of the Wild Frontier, and it was influenced by Ennio Morricone's score for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We talked about Ennio Morricone earlier. Yes, I don't remember <laughs> which one. It was, I think it was in... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wonder Milky yeah, Bitch. Yeah, Wonder Milky Bitch. All right. Um, so the album of the same name... Um, from Out of the Mans was uh, the UK's number one selling album in 1981. And that's particularly interesting because of what we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but in this song, Adam Ant introduced ant music for sex people. And that was a saying that he said was a movement um, and how he described his fans. Um, but it was also the title of a bootleg album. And... Uh, ant music for sex people was aimed at young people who felt alienated by society. Because it's like sexy people. <laughs> sexy people. Okay. All right. So um, he, before this album, Adam Ant had hooked up with Malcolm McLaren, who I'm a big fan of. But after I heard what happened here, I kind of was, you know, hmm. Mm. Um so it was a pitiful, pivotal moment for Adam Ant um, because Malcolm McLaren became his manager and sort of like um, gave him the Malcolm McLaren touch, yeah. which was so popular back then, like that sound, that production sound. Um, and he actually introduced Adam Ant to the Burundi drum beat. Burundi. Yeah. Um, but then he stole his whole band for Bow Wow Wow. Is that the... <clears throat> Yes, that's the Burundi, Burundi drum beat. Cool. But we talked about in the last episode um, where his whole band left. Mm -hmm. Like he was just chilling and his whole band left and started Bow Wow because Malcolm McLaren's wife, Vivian Westwood, um, 
was starting a fashion line. She wanted a, a punk band to model her clothes. Uh-huh. So he basically stole his whole band for that. And then he's like, eh, you guys, like, let's see if we can make music together. Yeah. But that was secondary to just being like, just, I want a mo- I want like a punk, you know, like fashion models for my wife. Crazy. Um, what if that happened today? Um, but uh, Adamant had the last laugh because after Malcolm McLaren stole his band, um, he made this album, Kings of the Law Frontier, and it reached number one in the UK, and it sold more than all of Bow Wow Wow's albums combined. So, jeez, <clears throat> karma. And they ended up breaking up, and they only made like what two albums? Yeah, and he. Probably and then it got real like weird and legally contentious. If you go to um, Annabella Lynn's website, you can see her beef with the band Bow Wow Wow. Oh, yeah, because they fired yeah. her a couple times. Yeah. I read that. Yeah. Um, and he also got um, ex-Susie and the Banshees member Marco Peroni um, after they took his band. And apparently Marco had a big influence on these the punk music. bands. are just running around. It's like around. a key party. All right, <laughs> uh, so how's this using the film? This is a song that plays when she's having... When she's fooling around with this Swedish soldier, which is played by Jamie Dornan, and never mind, I'll say it later. Okay. Uh, so Sofia Coppola said that she decided to depict the affair between Marie Antoinette and Furson um, as more than just a rumor. So I guess it had been a rumor till then, and you know nobody was sure, but she decided that she was gonna. Yeah. Just depict it, because she assumes if it was a rumor, it probably happened. Yeah. Um, and she thought that Kings of the Wild Frontier um, perfectly conveyed the animalistic nature of uh-huh. the affair between um, between them. See, um, that's what I'm saying, because... <laughs> <laughs> okay, all eyes back on you. I, I was going to bring it up later, but I was going to say, like, y- you mentioned to me recently about needle drop and i don't think sofia coppola really does that like oh yeah she just puts in songs because they go with the vibe or they help enhance the scene it's not like yeah. necessarily the song meaning or lyrics have yeah. to be about yeah, tell us about needle drop what's what going that, on what needle means? drop is where the music selected for a film or television <clears throat> show is Chosen for its literal purpose. Yeah, the lyrics are so literal to the scene. Like, yeah. I burned the house down and there's somebody burning a house yeah. down. It's just so... Like, I think music supervisors <clears throat> should make more of an effort and just yeah. go with... It's a very... The feeling. Yes. And not the lyrics or whatever. Yeah. Um, needle drop. Needle drop. Uh, so, yeah, she said that... Um, that she decided to make it real, not a rumor. Um, and that, um, oh, and that Adamant's look during this time um, influenced the look of Count Van Axel, <laughs> Count Van Axel von Fursen mm. in the film. Yeah, I noticed that in the music videos. Like, yeah, he, so they, she, she modeled him after her. That's Wait, cool. So she modeled she, him after him. She got two uses out of that. What a bargain. So as far as production goes, uh, the drum are quite, you know, Tommy, like... <laughs> Tommy drum. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And, and it, so, and I think that's why it reminds me of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Song. Yeah, you, you a big Fleetwood Mac fan? Yeah. Um, so what's another one of your favorite Fleetwood Mac songs um, and why? I like Sarah and Tell Me Lies and <laughs> some other songs. I can't remember oh. the titles. But why do you like Sarah? Tell me why you like Sarah. It's just, uh, they seem like a really cohesive band that, you know, they have what, good, No, what do you like about Sarah the song? Oh, Sarah the song? Yeah. What's the specific element about it? The melody. Like, I'm more of a melodies guy, so... Okay. Yeah. Um, 
in production. A music critic from for Rolling Stone noted that this song was one of the most original sounding songs he'd ever heard. And this was a like a 2020 mm-hmm. um, interview because um, it was an anniversary of, of the album. Because um, he said that it mixed these African Burundi beats mixed with this Native American chant and a driving three chord punk guitar. And um, yeah, sounds like a... Uh, Sounds like a song you would hear in a bar. I guess all these can, but I don't know why that one. Just I mean, depending on the bar, you can hear any like song. Badass vibes, like leather jacket. <clears throat> yeah, but don't you think there's there's bars that pay t- play Taylor Swift? <laughs> yeah, and that play SWV. I'm saying like it's a. So I'm just saying like any bar, any bar can play a a a song. (laughs) I'm saying like typical in a movie or TV show, like a bar song. Yeah, to be in my mind. (laughs) Just sounds elitist to me. (laughs) Um. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the music video. The video features the band playing and dancing close to each other. So it, it feels very claustrophobic, but it's like that's a kind of a it's punk. It's like a mosh pit. Yeah, like a punk vibe. Yeah. And one of the noticeable things about the video is lead singer Adam Ant's style, where he's wearing like a, what would you call that? Like an open soldier jacket with feathers? Yeah, epaulettes. Epaulets. Is yeah. that the design? No, epaulets are the things here. Oh, the lapels. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, he, he also has this face band. Face pant. Face. Mask. Face, face paint. Face paint that looks like a mask. Yeah, it's just a white band, though. It's yeah. across the nose. Looks like a poor strip, almost. <laughs> But, but it's around his eyes, no? No. Oh, that's right. It's below his eyes. Yeah, in his D zone. <sighs> okay. And so he he his whole what do you call it? It reminds me of Keith Flint from Prodigy. Who does it remind you of? Yeah, me too. Oh. That's so weird. Okay. Um. So apparently he introduced that painted warrior look. Um, to go with the African uh, Burundi beats and so sound, like so tribal. It was, yeah, it was kind of he, he. That's how he interpreted tribal. Tribal. That's cool. Um, but before this look, they were piratey. Yeah. So I think it's like a combination of tribal and pirate. Um, I can see that. Um, and the and the band's kind of '80s heyday. It really coincided with like the launch of MTV and when videos were. You know, yeah. super popular. So the more visually striking a video was, the more so views it got. So, I mean, that video, this video, is not visually striking at all. But future ones weren't. Oh were. yeah, yeah. But um, so he was basically just grabbing different elements from different cultures. Yes, that's cool. Well, now it'd be called cultural appropriation. Yeah, but <laughs> go on, explain uh, that. Yeah. You think cultural appropriation is okay? No, I think you should be able to identify it when it's very obviously offensive. But like, just because someone wears something from a different culture, especially when it's mixed with other cultures, that obviously shows that the person... All right, so what I was talking about before about it's not about intention, it's about how it's received by the audience. When that was made, it was received by the audience as very culturally um, like inclusive. Right. Yeah. Today it would be considered um, appropriation, but back then it was considered inclusive. And so, at the time, that director did something that that was interpreted by the audience in a in a good way. Yeah. Um, so even though today, when you look back on it, it it seems culturally, you know, like it's it's cultural appropriating. So you're saying if this video came out today or if the band came out today, they... And use this video, it would be very different than back then. Mm. Um, just think of it like a woman wearing a bikini in, you know, 1800s. 
it would have been considered yeah. very inappropriate. But if she wears it today, it's considered normal. So I'm just saying that it's it's it the context of the time is important. It's all and about. people fail to to realize that they just think like they just judge it based on today's standards. What's trending? Yes. Uh, give us some chorus in your best out of man. <laughs> no. A new royal family. A new royal family of wild nobility. We are the family. <laughs> I feel beneath. <laughs> Go on. I feel beneath the white. There's a red skin suffering from centuries of taming. A little speaking of what's PC, yeah. Um, yeah, because he's kind of saying, like, my suffering is akin to the suffering of the Native American, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but at the time, people interpreted it as he's bringing these stories to light, yes, and so you know, there wasn't the maturity of thought that there is today, right. All right, let's talk about remixes. The first one was in 1980. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, the first live performance was in 1980, which I guess you could say is a remix because it was pretty different than the, than the album. Yeah. Let's take a listen. And what about the most recent their most recent performance was over 40 years later, and it was in Nottingham in, two, in last year, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a listen to that. All right, so any um, trivia? Well, yeah, as we mentioned, um his band went to Bow Wow Wow, so he had to find new band members. <laughs> That's the trivia? There's nothing new here. <laughs> um, hey, is that the end? That's the That's end. The, that is the... Did we do four songs or three songs? We did four songs. We did four songs. That is the fourth of the four songs. And this was really fun. Hope you had fun, too. Yeah, I hope you had fun, too. Um... Thank you for bearing with our occasional lapses in um, <laughs> cognition. <laughs> We're children of divorce. <laughs> oh, you're not a children of child of divorce. No. I mean, you're a child of 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 single single parent. <laughs> yeah. For part of your life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dysfunction. <laughs> Jesse's mom, are you listening to this? <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. On uh, we have one more. No, we have two more. Two or three more episodes. Yeah, you are in luck. We have two or three more episodes <laughs> of Marie Antoinette. And if you call right now, <laughs> you can get a mug with Jesse's mug on it which I would pay for um, good night everyone good night